I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today's episode is a lecture given by Katrina McCook at Brunenberg Castle on June 1st, 2019. Despite being written some 30 years later, the Pisan Cantos are in part a product of the occult education Ezra Pound received in London between 1909 and 1916. One of the most influential occult figures in Pound's developing occultism was W.B. Yeats. During the Stone Cottage winters between 1913 and 1916, Pound served as secretary for Yeats and often accompanied him to various occultist meetings in London. Despite his fierce admiration for his mentor, Pound approached occult study and experimentation with a fair amount of reserve for what did not seem to him an altogether practical pursuit. (laughs) Nevertheless, because of his exposure to Yeats and the London occultists, Pound's writing shows obvious occult characteristics such as his inherent exclusivity, personalized form of automatic writing, and invocation of the dead. Under Yeats's guidance, Pound's academic pursuit of occultism influenced his writing and became a theme to which he often returned. Occult study, as we've discussed multiple times this week, has the regrettable problem of bestowing a sense of eccentricity to any author affiliated with it. Leon Surratt discusses this issue in his book, The Birth of Modernism, which is a great read if you've never uh, looked at it. He writes, like Pound's fascism, Yeats's occultism has been a subject not to be raised in polite company. Surratt attributes the lack of scholarly interest in studying modern occultism as an academic subject to its stigma of being taboo and misconstrued. In general usage, the definition of occultism encompasses the practice of magic for the purpose of gaining supernatural insight. For a scholarly interpretation, we use Demetrius Trifonopoulos' definition to mean the whole body of speculative, heterodox religious thought which lies outside all religious orthodoxies. As well, occultism involves the belief in the possibility of gnosis or direct awareness of the divine. Yeats's lifelong interest in occult study gave him connections between his strong sense of spiritualism, Irish nationalism, and religious upbringing. After establishing his friendship with Yeats, Pound began to develop his own interest in the the occult through a less romantic perspective than his mentor, preferring a more academic point of view. Pound cultivated his occult ideas based upon what Trifonopoulos calls the celestial tradition. This celestial tradition combines the pursuit of supernatural wisdom with the mythology of the ancient classics. The works of Dante, Homer, and other canonical writers provide Pound with recurring themes in his epic cantos, as well as his pheasants. This proves his involvement with the occult movement in London is is a largely unaccredited influence in his cantos. By employing the occult as a tool for scholarship rather than a zeitgeist in modern literature, the negative connotations it carries can be dispelled. Fascination with the occult had swept quickly across the literary landscape of Europe prior to Pound's 1908 arrival in London, where Yeats had already become an established practitioner of the occult. Yeats's curiosity about magic and all manner of occult subject led him to join Madame Blavatsky's Theosophical Theosophical Society in 1897. The group's central doctrines were built around Eastern religions, from European occultism, mysticism, philosophy, and when it served their purpose, from science. Yeats became the head of the esoteric section, which studied secret symbols, themes between parts of the body, the seasons, the colors, elements, and the like. 
When his committee failed to produce a single magical result, despite Yeats's enthusiastic experimentation and research, he resigned. <laughs> the rituals Yeats took part in as a member of the Golden Dawn, which I think Anna mentioned the other day, um, led to what he calls visions. Um, if you, they're described as symbolic meditations. Uh, the visions were a precursor to Yeats's attempt at automatic writing. These meditations were meant for mediums to use their imaginations to dwell on ancient divinities who would ob often obligingly seem to take de de definite shape and to enlighten them on various aspects of the other world. As a result of these visions, Yeats began to keep a diary for his occult studies, which is testament to the level of sincerity with which he approached these practices. His continued research and experimentation only solidified his belief in the possibility of gaining knowledge from the spirits. Yeats's search for supernatural wisdom and enlightenment were well advanced by the time Pound attempted to make the acquaintance of the respected older poet. Being initiated into Yeats's exclusive inner circle brought Pound a step closer to achieving his goal of modernizing poetry. In Pound's opinion, Yeats possessed the talent and connections he needed to introduce new life into the old and unfashionable modes of Victorian poetry. Pound made his rounds through meetings such as the Poets Club and the Irish Literary Society in an effort to establish himself as one of London's literati and acclaim a much-desired invitation to Yeats's Monday evenings. This meeting is where the most exclusive group of poets gathered at Yeats' behest. After gaining an invitation to join this elite circle of artists and writers, Pound still felt as if he had not yet reached his full potential. Inspired by Yeats's earlier Rhymers Club, Pound organized his own exclusive two-man group, which he dubbed the Order of the Brothers Minor. The two-member group <laughs> consisted of only himself and Yeats, which significantly raised his status as one of London's newly distinguished modern poets. Despite having minted a friendship with Yeats, Pound did not begin his mentorship immediately. After his acceptance of Yeats's offer for a secretarial sort, of, secretarial sort of role at Stone Cottage, Pound wrote to his mother in dismay that he was afraid his time with Yeats would not be profitable due to the elder poet's ongoing investigations into psychic research. <laughs> Yeats's fascination with the supernatural did not coincide with what Pound deemed necessary for necessary study for modernizing poetry. But in an effort to please Yeats, Pounds initially assumed the role of interested and informed outsider. Even though he attended many gatherings of people interested in esoteric matters held by Yeats and his occult friends, Pound did not see himself, nor was he seen by them, as belonging. Nevertheless, Pound went to occult meetings with an open mind and concentrated on finding ideas to share with Yeats, such as his theories on symbolism and aesthetics. Although much of Pound's early career was spent amongst these occult groups, um, it is noted that Pound's occultism is largely overlooked by scholars and widely, under, uh, widely undervalued as a theme in his poetry. Pound's budding occultism began to thrive after he had been exposed to Yeats's research and occult acquaintances. Pound favored his occult connections because of the exclusivity these groups created amongst themselves. Um, Trifonopolis introduces the idea that it is Pound's elitist attitude rather than the thematic correspondence that encouraged his attendance at occult meetings. Uh, James Longebach's perspective closely mirrors my own that Pound's goal was to create a superior form of poetry to energize traditional Victorian composition. After his acceptance into London's occult groups, Pound began an enduring interest in myth and initiation rituals. 
These subjects quickly became recurring themes within his poetry. In an effort to please Yeats and challenge himself with new subject matter, Pound became involved with publishing his article submissions to GRS Mead's magazine, The Quest. Uh, this outlines the relationship between Pound, is, Pound and Mead as one of teacher-student, and that Pound's admiration for Mead was founded upon scholarship and his well-rounded occult knowledge. Pound succeeded in linking his occult and non-occult interests by fostering an attitude of exclusivity created with Yeats through mutual desire to modernize literature. Longenbach devotes a major point in his book Stone Cottage, a good read, to discussion of Yeats's and Pound's preference for maintaining exclusivity within their work in order to attain more authority within London's literary scene. Langenbach attributes this bond to a shared impulse to insult the world <laughs> with harsh criticism and similar arrogant attitudes. Pound's arrogance resulted from having Yeats as one of his primary influence. Yeats understood his pupil to be a fiery poet and a brash young man, not unlike himself, during his days as a political activist and haughty Irish nationalist. Within the orders of the Brothers Minor, Yeats's voice was more dignified and experienced, which caused a bit of tension with his protege at times. Pound's need to promote exclusivity within his work gave him a certain amount of dominance over his literary peers, despite his inexperience and youth. He gleaned this approach from Yeats, whose desire for exclusivity in his work found fulfillment with the Golden Dawn's rites of initiation and levels of authority which granted access to occult secrets. The brief examination of the occult groups discussed here offers a glimpse into how difficult it may have been for Pound to access occult secrets, despite his close association with Yeats. After undergoing his own initiation, Pound adopted the occultist method of sharing select or secret knowledge as a tool for exclusivity <coughs> to compose his poetry. Pound's understanding of occult exclusivity and select knowledge originate from an interest in historicism based on his readings of Dante, Homer, and the tomes of classic philosophers. These studies supplied Pound a natural accompaniment to Yeats's occultism. Pound discovered that the occult shares with literary modernism an interest in philosophy of history, in secret history, and in the history of religion and mythology. By combining myth, history, and secret knowledge in his writing, Pound construction constructs an environment of initiation into which he can bring his readers. He believed that to gain comprehensive understanding of a people or culture, or culture resulted from the directly from excuse me resulted from direct initiation of the reader. Pound's cantos are notoriously full of bits and pieces of news, languages, and references which the average reader might find challenging. Pound initially defended his voice of difficult material and the lack of understanding amongst his readers by saying, "You will never know either why I chose them or why they were worth choosing." or why you approve or disapprove my choice until you go to the text, to the originals. In his poems, Pound recreated the occult perspective that once a reader is initiated, then true understanding of the material will follow. Pound began writing his cantos in 1915 while under Gates's mentorship in London and the long poem spans over more than five decades. There are more than 120 completed poems aside from the numerous revisions and drafts. The myriad of subject matter in the cantos includes historical and at the time current events, Pound's ongoing autobiography, his political revelations, and at least six languages. Before World War II, Pound was working on the section known as his Italian cantos, 
These poems are written in Italian and include his approach to propagandistic material. From 1940 to 43, he had a bi-weekly radio broadcast supporting Mussolini's regime. regime. Deemed an American traitor, he was arrested in 1945 and sent to the American Disciplinary Training Center in Pisa. While incarcerated, Pound composed 10 poems published as the Pisan Cantos in 1948. His next session of the Cantos was written during his 13-year internment at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. These Cantos were published as The Rock Drill and Thrones, and are followed by the final chapter of the epic Drafts and Fragments of Cantos. After he was released on the grounds that he would not stand trial, Pound moved back to Italy. His final set of Cantos was published in 1969. There is no surprise that his formative years as a poet would be the most influential for Pound's development of the Cantos. Inspired by his occult education, Pound becomes the initiator while writing the Cantos. His primary motivation is belief that his readers must be cultured. Pound continued, Pound continued his epic Cantos when he was in prison from May to November 1945 at the American Detention Center. Pound's poem, including history, applies not only at the occult teachings of initiation and exclusivity, but also employs automatic writing as the method of composition. My analysis of the Peas and Cantos reveals that Pound's unique form of automatic writing is evident through his visions, secondary personality, spirit guides, and invocation of the dead. For automatic writing to occur, the medium or writer must be receptive to creative and supernatural influences. In an automatic writing session, the primary goal of the medium is to produce writing inspired by supernatural or spiritual influence. Automatic writing can assume several formats, including freehand drawings, abbreviated phrases, and multilingual composition. Automatic writing is defined to be writing performed without conscious thought or deliberation, typically by means of spontaneous free association or as a medium for spirits or psychic forces. The primary objective is to discern a subconscious or spiritual meaning from thought processes not always fully understood or accessible to the writer. A more experienced writer can serve as a medium for the spirits. This is summarized as chiefly a matter of suspending conscious use of the faculties. Traditionally, automatic writing emphasizes a shared ancestral memory, which is one source for the select knowledge the spirits may share in a session. During his London years, Pound became familiar with occult experimentation, including automatic writing, its connection to the medium's identity and autobiographical nature. On more than one occasion, he witnessed Yeats and his fellow occultists hold seances and practice automatic writing for the purpose of divination or prophecy. Even amongst occult circles, Yeats was sometimes regarded as having a peculiar obsession with the occult. In The Birth of Modernism, Leon Surratt points out that many writers in the modernist clique tried to disassociate themselves directly with occult activities. He writes, Pound, Joyce, and Eliot are all on the record with disparaging remarks about Yeats's ghosts. <laughs> Despite the cold reception to all things magical and mystical, Yeats and his closest occult associates engrossed themselves in automatic writing and his sister activity, the seance, in their quest for divine knowledge. Yeats firmly believed that life carries on in the spirit world, which emphasizes that the spirit is never value neutral and always seeks to sustain or reinforce the beliefs of the sitter and or the medium. As Yeats grew more experienced in occult experiments, he desired a more personal way to communicate with the spirit world in addition to regular seances and other psychic tests. He dedicated himself to automatic writing for the purpose of charting the odyssey of the soul. 
The need to gain access to the spiritual realm drove Yates to seek communication with the spirits by assisting his wife, who became a medium during their automatic writing sessions. Their results are documented in what became Yates's A Vision. Yates' earlier studies had produced Per Amica Silentia Lune, written as a summary of, of his belief in the afterlife, the role of a demon, and encounters with the spirit of Leo Africanus. Yates, his wife, and even Pound gave their study of the occult a sense of academic purpose. Although Pound did not embrace his occult education as a fully spiritual experience, Yates was able to make connections between his faith and occult studies. At Stone Cottage, Pound generally held himself aloof from many of Yates's occult practices since he had dedicated his attention to the Fenelosa papers, but he gained familiarity with its purpose as Yates grew more deeply involved in his studies. These ongoing tests with automatic writing took Yates more than two years to complete beginning in 1912. In this experiment, Yates endeavored to ask questions by method of telepathic communication and have them answered by writing one of his automatic writing participants. He became unfailingly convinced that a living mind could serve as a medium for departed spirits. This test is among many that Yates conducted while sharing a close association with Pound in London. Although Pound never became fully ingrained in the occult as his mentor did, he found value in retaining elements from his occult educations. Um, and he remembers his stone cottage days in the Pisan cantos, when in Canto 83, he thinks of Uncle William downstairs composing. As Yeats's secretary, Pound's duties included reading aloud to the elder poet. There's little surprise that Yeats preferred Anna Moser's text over the romantic Wordsworth. Anna, Anna Moser's book includes investigation into animal magnetism and occult science, which would have been a primer for Yeats and Pound, who were scientifically illiterate. The occult sciences were an aside to Yeats's progression in psychic research when Elman, Richard Elman writes as a, was a product of his quest to find irrefutable evidence of the supernatural. Pound took an interest in reading those occult texts alongside Yeats and developed a more latent occultism which was exposed in his cantos. The occult education Pound underwent more than 30 years prior to his imprisonment in 1945 is an important factor in the composition of the Pisan cantos. The occult overtones of the Pisans are generally ignored in favor of discussing Pound's politics and autobiography. James Longebach addresses the underlying question as to other motivations for composing the Pisan Cantos. He writes, the Pisans are Pound's autobiography, his own genealogy of the dream of nobility, of nobility, but his legacy is inherently tied to Yeats. Since even Yeats is not mentioned in the Pisan Cantos, he does appear more often than any other ghost. The presence of his sensibility is always felt. Pound lists the ghosts whose presence he is aware of when he's writing the Pisan Cantos, including in Canto 74, 40, that road of giants, and William, who dreamed of nobility, and Jim, the comedian, singing. He also notes in this passage that there are shades of Ford Maddox Ford, W.B. Yeats, James Joyce, Victor Plar, Edgar Jepson, Maurice Hewlett, and Sir Henry Newbolt. These men are all part of Pound's aristocracy of the arts that lived on well past his London years. This proves that modernism and occultism both share the same elitist approach, the acceptance of secret histories and pursuit of wisdom within their respective canons. Pound wrote the cantos based on secret history while weaving the Odyssey into its fabric to complete the formula for his epic. Yeats once said that Pound's epic ambition was constantly interrupted 
broken, twisted into nothing by its direct opposite, nervous obsession, nightmare, and stammering confusion. <laughs> but he wouldn't be put off. Yeats's analysis of Pound's work offers a deeper understanding of the poet, who has relinquished himself to become a medium for his ghosts and the dream of an epic legacy within his Pisans. The ghosts who haunt the Pisan cantos guide Pound from the road to hell and onto the path toward a meditative close as the poet becomes possessed by the Odyssean spirit as he believes death is imminent. In Canto 80, from this point forward, it has a sort of death chill, as noted in Canto 80, line 33, which translates into automatic script and the conjuring of the ghosts of friends and colleagues. Pound's use of his Odyssean spirit is a conscious application of a developed secondary personality. The terms personality and mask are used interchangeably because of their varying interpretations in Poundian scholarship. Most studies of automatic writing usually support the possibility of a secondary personality as a type of shield for the medium's hidden emotions. This is mass theory functions in an almost identical manner by allowing the author to escape duress or trauma or persecution through the protection of a mask. From an academic or scientific perspective, automatic writing is more than just a tool to contact spirits or to gain super knowledge, supernatural knowledge and guidance, such as Yates and his wife intended. In her scientific exploration of automatic writing, Dr. Anita Mule finds that the practice does not have to be mysterious or a curious endeavor. Mule's work as a psychoanalyst led her to practice the study of automatic writing as a therapeutic tool, and she published her findings in 1930. The perception upheld by Mule is that automatic <coughs> writing can be utilized as a way to clear the mind. The practice is influenced by the writer's personality, experiences, and memories. Pound's contribution to the scholarly argument surrounding occultism and automatic writing is largely based on his approach. It's his adamant opinions about the necessary changes required to modernize literature and art that makes his poetry the foundation for modernism. Aside from the obvious experimental aspects to composing an automatic script, Pound is a proponent for making literature and poetry new by employing different techniques and theories. Pound's theory of the occultist birth and death cycle palingenesis is directly connected to his use of automatic writing. He takes traditional occult practice and reinvents it as a method for composing poetry. While writing the Pisan Cantos, Pound uses automatic writing as a therapeutic tool in addition to channeling a seance and bringing forth ghosts. The seemingly nonsensical jumble of subjects in the Pisans assumes a more coherent structure when viewed through the lens of automatism. Automatic writing can function as a way to dispel personal fears since the act of automatic writing is a tool for releasing emotional energy. As a rule, automatic speech and writing display nothing more than revivifying of faded mineral imagery, thoughts, conjectures, and impressions, which never come to birth in the upper consciousness. With this method, a writer can access hidden feelings or memories which give an autobiographical or narrative focus to their sessions. The unfamiliar surroundings of the detention camp put Pound in a morbid and rapidly dis disintegrating state of mind. He seeks hope and solace in the figures of nymphs, muses, and ghosts that shield him from his view of hell. The muses Dursi, Isoda, and Giovanna are symbols that Pound grasps as he feels helpless among the cages of the DTC. Through the filter of automatic writing, Pound is calling forth spirits who can aid him in his passage through hell. 
<laughs> Within a few weeks of his imprisonment, Pound loses his hope of freedom and his thoughts turn towards the possibility of death. In these lines, he falters between faith in the painted paradise between his prison walls and the damnation of hell. Another primary component for automatic writing is the personality and identity of the writer. Pound uses these characters to portray himself under the shroud of a mythical hero and ghost, ghostly spirit guide Odysseus. Pound's ideal mask is the illusion of the hidden hero. Um, in the Pisan Cantos, the poet's own self, have, having been largely absorbed into a mask, pastiche, and translation in earlier cantos for the first time appears on this stage in his poems a histrionic image that comes naturally to the pen and has an odd appropriateness. To summon a large number of ghosts from varying histories and traditions to this writing of the cantos, Pound needed a method for easy transition, making the mass tool particularly effective and removing himself directly. Pound develops his hero identity through Odysseus's spirit and uses his mass regularly throughout the cantos. These many sides of himself come together in the chaos of his pisans, which are struggler, which is a similar to the struggle Yeats endured with the self and anti-self. From the first canto in the pisans, Pound identifies himself through this Odyssean spirit. This merging of personalities, spirit guides, and opinions consistently reappears throughout the pisans, as Pound's defense against his journey through through the hell of the DTC. Pound writes from the perspective of Odysseus, who is battle-weary and far from home. He shares with Odysseus a feeling of diaspora. Pound's feeling of displacement shares similarities with Homer's hero, whose idealism and resolve is unwavering despite his situation. By continually asserting, reasserting his Odyssean spirit guide, Pound navigates the difficult terrain of his peasants and his environment. Pound learned from Yeats that to successfully integrate oneself into automatic writing is necessary to have a spirit guide. Pound puts his Odyssean mask as his guide ere others destroy him. He naturally uses this figure in his automatism because the Homeric spirit had already been with him this whole time, in his cantos and in the poet's mind for many years. As his life seems just past hope and his imprisonment wears on him, Pound calls forth ghosts and spirits in a seance meant to help him preserve his memories. Throughout the Pisans, Pound constantly encounters the world of the dead. He communes with the ghosts in the seance he hosts in the Pisan cantos. For six months, Pound tries to find his paradise and allows the suave-eyed goddesses to guide him there. Pound's occultism reaches its climax as he conducts the seance that his automatic writing calls forth.
the podcast website renderingunconscious.org or my website drvanessasinclair.net. Are you doing the work angelic? To me, that we fests itself, will, and the we can thus deeply with us, even at one, the alarm of the eye and find at we once as the caption, historically, general formula, the over-acknowledged the at the walls of, as earlier, a disease, is ultimately about the uniting of consciousness, merged together outside of the body. As conscious fragments, perhaps consciousness can also be I don't know what. On to explain that by doing this, they hope to, rather than be allowed from the consciousness, blood in it, thinking non-representation to veil, hard process, love and consider this in relation to the concept, what your but I know as, as brought to the fore. Many would be similar scenario in his break that I wish delineates the theory of the drives. At this point, power, for example, develops his theory further along the lie. Went concept of the death drive to his theory of libido, the favorite song in the world. That sexuality is not to get enough of it. Their content, the product, preservation of the species. It shows further the founded seem to take place between sexuality. Individual is the principle onto sexuality is true self, one of its needs, while nature, them out for, is situated, appendage to the quasi-immortal germplasm, old generation, polymorphous, an article the length, two songs in a experience as well, the experience, and are Perhaps this is yet nature and wondrous. Congratulations.